All right, and welcome to Fast Break Breakfast NBA Podcast. My name is Keith, here alone for a solo interview episode. Chuck and John are due back for a full Fast Break Breakfast episode later in the week, perhaps dropping on Friday or early next week at the latest. I was out of town for a full seven days in Las Vegas at Summer League, one of my favorite times of the year. I love watching all of the kind of struggly basketball. I think watching Summer League is really fun. I won't lie, at home, sometimes it gets boring. But when you're there, I stay locked in. I really enjoy watching the guys try to fight to make the teams. For me, it's a time to learn about the top draft picks because as you all know I don't watch college so I've never seen these guys play I've never seen Lonzo Ball play basketball before never seen De'Aaron Fox play basketball or Jason Tatum or any of these guys so summer league is very exciting it's very fun and I have a great time today's guest is going to talk more about some of those prospects from the perspective of a guy who covers the NBA the draft and college, kind of similar to what I did last week when I talked to Trevor Magnotti. If you want to get more Fast Break Breakfast or support the show, the best way to do that is go to patreon.com slash breakfast. There we have a bunch of hardcore NBA fans talking about basketball around the clock on our Slack chat, which is one of our more popular features. We've started a new thread just for Game of Thrones but it's a separate thread, so there'll be no spoilers if that isn't your thing. But anyway, that is how some of our biggest fans support the program is by going to patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. My guest today is a writer who covers the NBA, college basketball, and the draft at the Sporting News and at Vice Sports, among many other places. He is also the host of the Game Theory Podcast, Mr. Sam Vicini. Sam, how's it going? I'm doing excellent, Keith. How are you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing great. I am out of the overwhelming dry heat of Las Vegas, back to the overwhelming uh, humid heat of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah find- man. Like, Las-, Las Vegas is just the worst place in the world i think <laughs> <laughs> like it is just so overwhelmingly hot like you know in past years when i've done summer league i think this is the fifth year or so that i've gone um i think the last five years have gone uh you know i've gone out and like you know done the whole like stay out until 5 a.m 6 a.m thing and you know gambled all night and drank all night and done that whole like everything that comes with las vegas right uh this time i didn't even do that and still found myself just being hung over from the heat and the exhaustion that you know just walking around in that all-encompassing dry you know hellscape uh entails so i i think that basically what i'm saying is like i should basically just go out and get drunk in las vegas because there's not going to be a difference <laughs> in my morning feeling the next day yeah completely I, I didn't go very hard this year as far as like the post game going out but it's the same thing where it's like i'm in the arena for like 10 hours or, or eight to 10 hours 
I, I don't eat very much, like, while I'm in the arena. And then, like, I'll have, like, a dinner afterwards. I'll drink a couple beers, and I wake up and just throbbing headache, body is sore. And you're like, what? Like, this weather, it's just, yeah, it's pretty rough. But I got to say, I love it. I don't, I don't know what... Maybe I don't get out enough, but uh, but but going to Vegas, I, I think I think is a blast. I, st- I still the novelty of watching the summer league games is a lot of fun, uh, and I think part of it is because I, I don't follow college basketball at all. So every mm-hmm. every player I've never seen before, so I'm always very excited for for all the draft picks, you know, to to, to finally see them. Um, before we go any further, though, it, it is our tradition to talk about breakfast. So I'm I'm curious, while you were in Las Vegas, what what was the best breakfast that you had? So I'm not a big breakfast guy. Uh, I just about never eat breakfast. Uh, my breakfast tends to uh, revolve around coffee. Like I have a Nespresso machine at home that is basically my most valued possession, right? Uh, so like I went out and I had some coffee. But what I will say is, is that around like 1130 in the morning on the last day I was there, so the Monday or Tuesday, I forget which one, you know, all those days just kind of blend together. Um I went out and got Rollin' Smoke Barbecue. Uh, it's like off the strip. It, I looked up like best barbecue places in Las Vegas. It's like, I think it's like Arkansas barbecue or something. It was unbelievable. It was one of the better barbecues that I have had in a long time. I really, really, really enjoyed it. I got uh, brisket with that was like sliced. I got some that was chopped. I got the like burnt ends uh, of brisket. You know, you got some coleslaw. You got some mac and cheese. It was awesome. It, it really was the absolute perfect meal. That's that sounds great. I'm a I'm a firm believer in a breakfast brisket. We have a. Uh... In Nashville, we have a lot of barbecue shops here, so that that, that does sound like a, a great way to start your day. Um, See, that, that's the problem <laughs> with Los Angeles, though. Like, you, you don't really have that terrific barbecue place, you know? Uh, that, that's really just one of the things I miss most about, like, living in the East, right? Uh, Los Angeles doesn't have that same barbecue attachment. It's all Japanese, you know, sushi. Mexican food is great out here. You can find really great food, obviously. Barbecue, though, has not made that transition. That's really surprising. I, I, I would have thought someone would, would have latched onto it. I know there's, uh, there's Nashville hot chicken places popping up in Los Angeles. It, it seems like they would just go ahead and, you know, grab that barbecue thing, get that going as well out there. Um, a lot of time on, on our podcast, Fast Break Breakfast, we actually avoid, like, the biggest stories just maybe out of, out of oversaturation and boredom. This is a case where that's, this is not the case, at least. Uh, Lonzo Ball, again, as I said, I don't watch college basketball. I was blown away by Lonzo Ball's play. Uh, just excited about the, the way he played the game. So um, as someone who, who has seen him play before, uh, as you cover the draft in college, uh, what is your perspective on his summer league play and how he's going to assimilate into the NBA? Yeah, I mean, he basically did exactly kind of what I thought and really even adjusted a little bit quicker than I thought he would. So uh, Lonzo has always been this incredibly polarizing player, even before, you know, everyone knew who his dad was, right? Like he's still this six foot five point guard. Who's not this like crazy scorer, but he's a good scorer. Um, you know, he's not this uh, get into the lane elite level athlete who explodes and finishes way above the rim. He's just preternaturally gifted in terms of his basketball IQ and in terms of the way he sees the floor. Right. So, you know, some people thought he was the number one prospect coming into college basketball last year. I 
talked to some people who thought he wasn't a top 10 prospect coming into college basketball last year. Um, during his Australia trip that UCLA took last year, he really struggled. You know, he shot like 25% against these professional Australian players and, uh, you know, turned the ball over quite a bit. And really it took some time for him to adjust to the way the game was played against bigger, stronger, faster players, uh, than what he saw in high school this year. I think we did see a little bit of that same transition process, right? Where it took him, you know, a couple games to really figure out the speed of the game. It took him, you know, a couple games to start knocking down his jump shot a little bit, that right to left step back that he loves going from the left side of the floor. Um, you know, ultimately though, by the end of the day, he looks fantastic, right? Like he looks, um, like exactly the kind of player the Lakers are hoping to get in the way that he will affect their overall game. He'll affect them in transition. He'll make passing contagious. He will make everyone think the ball is coming back to them. So I really, you know, I had Lonzo ball at four on my draft board. I'm not really surprised by what he's doing right now. I do think that there is still some question once he goes against the best athletes in the world on a night to night basis in the NBA. Uh, is he going to be able to consistently make plays in half court settings? Like I, I still would have Lonzo at four, uh, you know, on my draft board, if I was redrafting tomorrow, right. Having said that his adjustment does seem to be quicker and he's going to be a really great fit with the Los Angeles Lakers under what Luke Walton wants to do. Yeah, I just got so excited. Something about the contagious passing, his his off-ball help, like getting the blocks and the steals. I know he's getting destroyed on on-ball defense, but like him just coming out of nowhere, the, like the feel, you know, to, to contest shots and get those defensive rebounds and then throw the outlets. I, I definitely have gotten the, if he wasn't a Los Angeles Laker, he might be my favorite like player in, in this draft class. Like, like he, he's so fun to watch. Um, you, you said he... he you would still have him at number four. Who are the other three guys you, you still have ahead of him? So, yeah, I had Markel Fultz at number one. I, I didn't really see anything that would change that during summer league. He was good in Utah and then got hurt in Las Vegas. Right. Uh, kind of is what it is. Jason Tatum. I had at number two coming into the draft. I, you know, he was unbelievable in summer league as well. He was able to create shots with ease. Uh, you know, there are still some concerns that people have about how efficient his style of play is going to be. I think those are valid, but the ability to create shots from the wing for me is still the most valuable skill set that you can find in uh, today's NBA among non-star players. And I still think Tatum has a chance to be a star, obviously. Uh, number three, I had Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson uh, is a little bit concerning in terms of what I've seen at summer league. The jump shot is still kind of a mess. Uh, he, he really, you know, people got excited by the shooting numbers, but th that jump shot is still terrifying in the way that he dips his shoulder back, kind of has a natural lean to it. Uh, his balance isn't terrific. Uh, you know, maybe as he continues to get in rhythm with the NBA season, that'll improve, but he really does need to do some continued work on that jump shot going forward. And then I'd Lonzo at four, you know, he's uh, like I said, probably the worst athlete of the three players and four player group that I had him with. But you know, the preternatural passing skill is incredible. You mentioned the defense too. Uh, yeah. Lonzo is a mess on defense. Like his point of attack ball screen defense is 
just non-existent right now. And I think that's going to be a significant issue, even in college and at UCLA, he was much better defending twos, threes, fours than he was ones and twos. So it'll be interesting to see how the Lakers kind of work around that. Do they continue to get him more uh, on those twos and threes as opposed to having him defend the point of attack and having him kind of run through screens consistently? I think it's interesting you still have Josh Jackson three. He was a guy, despite putting up some some decent stats, I was really like w- wondering what what does he do? Like how does he fit? So how how do you think he projects in NBA games? Like what what's he going to be doing out there? So yeah, Josh Jackson's kind of a tricky one because summer league kind of accentuates the really good part of his games, like getting out into transition and you know being able to show passing ability there, being able to finish above the rim. But it also really accentuates the problematic parts of his game where or it really emphasizes, not really accentuates, but it emphasizes the downsides of his game where uh, in disorganized settings, he can kind of go off and do his own thing. His aggression can get the better of him. Uh, he, he can get a little tunnel visiony where it's a problem when he starts jacking up shots like off the dribble and starts like just trying to jack up threes because he thinks he needs to do stuff. So all of this stuff is extremely concerning for him. But I think that once you get him into a better structure, like a, you know, NBA atmosphere in Phoenix where he's next to Devin Booker and next to Eric Bledsoe and next to Tyson Chandler guys who can, you know, kind of show him the ropes and help him fit in a little bit more He's the kind of two-way presence that will really be effective at at the NBA level a little bit more than he will be at the summer league level, in my opinion. Plus, he, he's just so competitive that I expect him to kind of just rip the like opposition's heart out like every night because he will absolutely try to do that. I have down that you said he needs to get into a better structure like Phoenix. So I'm I'm I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping that as a note there. Well, the, the scary thing is, is like even Phoenix. And they're, you know, they're, they're, front office turmoil there. There are questions as to whether or not Earl Watson is going to be the long-term guy. Um, that's still so much more organized than what you see in summer league, right? Yeah, like summer yeah. league is just the, you know, the king of disorganization, uh, on the basketball floor. There's a few other guys who I, I saw play for a couple of games and I, my enthusiasm could not be held in. So I want you to kind of slow, slow down my enthusiasm. Tell me, tell me why I, I should pump the brakes on some of these guys. Uh, I saw Bam Adebayo play two halves of basketball and I was ecstatic. So, so how excited should I be or, or should, should I pump the brakes on that enthusiasm? Yeah. He's one of the guys that I look back on my draft board and wonder why I had him so low. Uh, you know, even on draft day, I looked at it because I published my rankings the day before. And like even on draft day before he went in the lottery, I was like, yeah, I screwed this up. I should not have him like in like in the high 20 or low 20s or wherever I had him. Like I think I had him at like 21 or something like that. Um, his game is all athleticism, uh, along with a little bit of skill from like the mid range, like 16 foot area. He has really good footwork. Uh, he's explosive, can finish above the rim, obviously going to be a good screen and roll guy. I think, uh, you know, pick and pop guy maybe as well, uh, as he continues to mature his game defensively, he is not, he's a center for sure, but I don't love the size. I think he has like a nine 
one standing reach, so not necessarily elite size for a center. He also has small hands, and that really caused him problems on the defensive glass in college. Uh, he had something like a 17%, 16% defensive rebounding rate last season. So like similar to what Josh Jackson did from the wing, right? As a center who was really his team's lone rebounding presence inside, right? So I have some concerns about him. You're going to have to put him next to a really good defensive rebounder, I think, to get the most out of his effectiveness. But he's really athletic. He's switchable defensively. Uh, like I said, I think the jump shooting is somewhat legit in terms of being able to knock down shots from 15 to 16 feet. Um, so, yeah, no, I think Bam is going to be a really good player, and I really love the fit with him in Miami's system. All right, so uh, so we have Bam Adebayo. I'm going to go pedal to the metal. I'm not I'm not pumping the brakes. Uh, do, do you think do you think he can play at all? Like you said, he's a five. Like, is he going to be just the backup b- behind Whiteside? Like, can he play beside Whiteside at all? I mean, I think they can try that. Uh, it would require him becoming a real knockdown. You know. 18 foot shooter, right? Like he would absolutely need to space the floor in a real tangible way for them. Uh, given the fact it, it depends on how much you trust James Johnson shooting from the outside and Dion waiter shooting from the outside. They already don't have like a crazy amount of floor spacing to begin with. Uh, so I, I really do think he's going to be best off as like their true backup five this year, as opposed to someone who, you know, starts as the four. He, he's going to be a really good fit. I think for instance, with, you know, maybe Kelly Olenek who can stretch the floor next to him and bam can provide the size and switchability defensively that they're looking for. Okay. Another guy, is it, is it pump the brakes or, or pedal to the metal on, uh, Donovan Mitchell. He, he played two games in Vegas and, and based on a 37.8 steal game, he, he now has the highest uh, points per game ever in a summer league at 28 and the highest steals per game at six, which is obviously biased on that, on that one, that, that one game. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, 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 Don, so Donovan Mitchell, he, he didn't shoot a great percentage. Uh, should, should I be crazy excited or as excited as I am about him? Um, I think that people are probably a little high on him right now. Um, but, he is going to be an excellent selection for the number 13 overall pick, right? Like I do think there's a pretty good chance. We look back and wonder why he didn't go in the top 10 of this draft as opposed to going number 13. That trade looks terrific right now for Utah, in my opinion. Um, You know, Mitchell has always been just an absolutely insane athlete. He's going to be able to buzz in and out of the lane. No problem. Uh, More of a two foot jumper than a one foot jumper. So that's a small concern, I would say. Uh, You know, it's a lot easier for one foot jumpers to consistently finish in the NBA because it doesn't take them as much time to gather and go up as opposed to two foot jumpers where they have to gather. You know, it takes that extra split second. The defense can rotate a little bit and, and really contest shots. Right. So. I have that concern uh, about his finishing inside the jump shot. uh, This was really his only year where he was a consistent jump shooter. I would say he's probably more in the 35% three point shooting from NBA three point range right now range. Um, Probably not like an elite level shooter right now, but overall, given the defensive ability, the athleticism, he's going to be a really good third guard rotation player for Utah this year. And we'll see how the rest of his game develops. One thing that's worth noting on him, he is, one of the hardest workers and has one of the best personalities to improve his game and improve his stock in this NBA draft. So I I would feel pretty confident if I was a Utah fan right now, I I would probably hit the gas a little bit, even if right (laughs) now I think he is, uh, you know, people are talking about him. Like, should he have gone top five in this draft? 
I wouldn't go that far, but I would pump the gas if I was a Utah fan in terms of excitement on getting him at number 13, really, for just Trey Lyles and number 24. Yeah, you had me tapping the brakes, and then you talked about the personality stuff. I'm a sucker for that. You're like, good personality? Perfect. All right, uh, last guy. This is a guy I got in a, in a fantasy keeper draft as, as a college uh, guy, Dennis Smith Jr., I saw I saw a game where I think he was like 24, 8, 5, and something else. Like he had four blocks, I think. Uh, so Dennis Smith Jr., is he going to – what do you think he's going to do in Dallas? Should, should I be super excited about him? Yeah, absolutely. You know, pedal to the metal, you know, nice. gas on Dennis <laughs> Smith's uh, – or, yeah, on Dennis Smith's ability. He was a guy that I had ahead of De'Aaron Fox on my draft board. Uh, I was a huge – I was not like a crazy huge fan. I had him like in the 5-6 range on my draft board, but – you know, where he ends up going, number nine to Dallas, it's going to be an awesome fit. He's an unbelievable pick and roll guard, was probably the best athlete in this draft class with his explosiveness and uh, with his vertical leaping ability and, you know, first step and everything. Uh, really good ball handler, a better passer than what I think he got credit for in college. Uh, the jump shot off the dribble is still a major concern for him. He really needs to tighten up that part of his game. Uh, teams might be able to play off of him a little bit, might be able to adjust to that athleticism just a small amount but when you're that kind of athlete uh, as long as he can stay healthy he's going to be a really 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 good player as a rookie it wouldn't surprise me if he was a finalist for the rookie of the year this year that's it that's exciting i think what we're getting is it seems like so many of these rookies and especially these lottery picks like we didn't see anything negative like 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 everyone came out like this guy looks pretty good like this this is what we were hoping for um the the opposite of that the sophomores had kind of a bad summer league a lot, like a lot of them didn't play, but the guys who did like like kind of struggled. Like like uh, we still didn't see a lot from Dragonbender or Marcus Chris on the Suns. Um, poor Pop Giannis looks like he's maybe not an NBA basketball player. Uh, I think Jakob Pertl might have been the most impressive sophomore I saw. Uh, what did you see from the sophomores, and were there any I for, uh, that I'm forgetting that like either impressed you or made you more concerned about their futures? Well, I mean Brandon Ingram in the one game that he played was unbelievable. Right. Uh, yeah. He looks like you know, potential NBA starter from day one next year right now, in my opinion, uh, he, he's really done a lot of work on the ball, like, or, uh, on his body. He made Bryce Johnson look small. I thought like Bryce Johnson is a six foot 10, like 230 pound big man who, uh, you know, had a good game against the Lakers, certainly, but you know, Brandon Ingram is six foot nine. He's put on some weight. He has those ridiculously long arms. Uh, you know, he's going to be able to really score in, I think, a variety of ways this year. The rest of his floor game also uh, really seems to have developed over the course of the last year, uh, you know, with his struggling to finish uh, his scoring ability, right? Like he was a guy that got his own shot a ton at Duke and uh, really impressed with his shot making ability. That didn't translate in his rookie year. I think it will translate in his sophomore year, but to kind of make up for that adjustment, he became a better passer, uh, became a little bit more of an effective defender. He's always had that dog in him, that effort, despite the size. So I really do like what I've seen from uh, from Brandon Ingram at this stage. Uh, you know, in terms of the 2016 NBA draft guys, yeah, I think that none of this should really come as a surprise to people, in my opinion. You know, the 2016 draft, we said at the time, and, you know, we continue to say it was an incredibly weak draft. Uh, the 2017 NBA draft, we said 
going back two years ago, even uh, for people that cover it like myself, that this was going to be an incredibly strong draft. And I think we saw the difference in the dichotomy of the drafts there. Right. So Chris Dunn, obviously in a new situation where he was playing out of position for some dumbass reason uh, that Chicago tried to play him at like the two, three instead of the point guard position uh, with Cameron Payne being the point guard. I didn't understand that, but Chris Dunn didn't necessarily look great in his game. Marquise Chris is still maddeningly inconsistent due to the stupid plays that he makes uh, on the floor consistently. Dragon Bender is, you know, 19 years old, maybe even, I think he, is he still 18? He, he might even, no, he's 19. No, it's not he's still, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not possible. He's 19. Um, but, you know, the, the body is coming along, but it's still not quite there yet. And, the quickness on the perimeter, which was one of the reasons that I kind of liked him as a draft prospect and had him, I think, at number three or number four on my board, um, that hasn't necessarily shown as well in the NBA as I was expecting it to. The jump shot also looks pretty flat despite really solid mechanics kind of going up up until he releases it. So I have that. I have kind of the same concerns about Bender as you do. Um, just kind of looking down this list, Thon Maker was a mess at Summer League. Um, you know, he, he's obviously going to be a really good rotation player for Milwaukee. I wonder about upside beyond that, though. Torian Prince, I thought, looked pretty good. Um, you know, Hernan Gomez looked fine. Wade Baldwin looked fine. DeAndre Bembry looked really good, I thought, uh, is another guy that actually really impressed, in my opinion. Um, but, oh, boy. Uh, Papa Giannis. <laughs> pa- yeah. Papa, Papa Giannis, man. Um, yeah, I, I, have, I have some pretty significant skepticism, as I did on draft day, that he is an NBA player. So, yeah, that, that's not looking like a great number 13 overall pick. Uh, speaking speaking of Bembry, I listened to your your podcast you did with, with Cole Zwicker talking about the prospects from Summer League, and both you guys complimented Bembry and Sindorius Thornwell. My impression on both of those guys, and it could have just been the two games of each that I saw, was kind of the opposite. Like like I thought Bembry, and it might have been that I wagered on the Hawks and they lost, but uh, I, I thought Bembry just turned the ball over a ton, and any time he tried to mm-hmm. like create for others, it was a turnover. And same with Thornwell where I thought he looked good on defense and he did score. He got to the line a lot in a couple games, but every time he penetrated into the goal, I felt like he didn't have like a finishing move. And in addition, every time he fed the post, the ball was knocked out of bounds. Like it, like it didn't, it didn't result in turnovers, but it seemed like he had trouble passing on offense. But again, so what, what did I miss among Thornwell and Bembry's games? Well, I think with Bembry, he was probably being asked to do a little bit more than what he probably will be asked to do in the NBA season. So what I liked is I liked the fact that he seemed to shoot the ball pretty well. Uh, he is a very high IQ player, so I'm not super concerned about the turnovers going forward. Um, you know, the passing ability is certainly still there. The defense seems to improved as well. Uh, he, he does give uh, a little bit more effort. He was always in college known as kind of this reserved guy who might not be giving a ton of effort. I really liked the effort a lot. Uh, what I saw from him at summer league this year, he did seem to give quite a bit of, uh, you know, emphasis on making sure that people know he's an NBA player. Thornwell, you know, he showed well, I think for a second round rookie, but it's all contextual, right? I do kind of agree with you in terms of the concerns on, um, the way that he operated offensively. So like he got to the line a lot, uh, by getting into the high post and kind of like almost like posting up smaller guards and kind of just taking advantage of his strength strength advantage on the floor. So 
I, I share those concerns, but overall his defensive ability was really good. He looked like he belonged out there, which is oftentimes pretty rare for a rookie second round pick to do. So I think it's hard to come away just not thinking of his overall performance as positive, even if there are the same concerns that you kind of brought up with Thornwell going forward. Among, or with the exception of those top big name draft picks, the other guys who impressed me the most were these kind of diminutive point guards who already had a little bit of professional experience. And, and Summer League is normally a, a good spot for these guys to show out. Um, but you had Quinn Cook of the Pelicans, Mike James of the Suns, and then Bryn Forbes for the Spurs. Uh, among those guys, who do you think is maybe has the brightest NBA future? I mean, I think Mike James has probably proved the most out of those guys. Uh, you know, he's a legitimate like million dollar player over in Europe right now. Um, he is a true Euro league point guard who can score the basketball full stop, who can, uh, really play unselfish basketball distributing to his teammates. Uh, you know, the defense is going to be a concern, but you no, know, as a backup point guard, I, I really do think he has a place in the NBA. Bryn Forbes, you know, really good knockdown shooter. I think he probably has a place in the NBA and I've always been a fan of Quinn cook. I like the mentality. I like the fact that he gets after things defensively. I think all three of them are NBA you know, players uh, on some level, but I, I would say Mike James is probably my favorite of that group. Yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, I think it's pretty good. I, I feel like it's weird, the situation in Phoenix, like, like where is he going to get on the court in relation to, like, you know, Ty Tyler Eulis being there as well. Uh, Bryn Forbes, for me, it's like, is this the new Patty Mills, just like another chucker right. who, who's going to step into the role and just be another another scoring point guard for the Spurs? Um, last, last couple things. Um, I'm a Grizzlies fan. Uh, you, you said Wade Baldwin you thought was fine. I also kind of think he was fine, despite a lot of Grizzlies fans kind of tearing their hair out about him. Uh, Wayne Selden, though, was the brightest spot for the Grizzlies uh, summer league team. Yep. Do you think like he's going to be fighting for that starting role in Memphis? Because right now, to me, and as a Grizzlies fan, he, see he seemed better at summer league than I've ever seen Ben McLemore be. So what's your take on Wayne Selden? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, uh, Wayne Selden has always been a tremendous athlete. He was one of the better, uh, you know, five-star prospects in his high school class. It took him three years at Kansas to kind of really get into it. Um, you know, overall, it's all going to hinge on him becoming the consistent 38% three-point shooter that I think he has potential to be. If he can do that, I would expect that uh, he is a very real NBA rotation player. The athleticism is there. The defense is there now. Uh, he's very strong. Uh, his quickness is pretty solid. But overall... Uh, I'm a fan. I, I really like what I have seen from uh, his game since he was uh, since he really went undrafted in the 2016 NBA draft. I like the fact that he's pulled himself up from the bootstraps and really done a great job. Yep. Our last thing. Is there any other guy out there or, or player you saw at Summer League that, that is either undrafted or, or not under contract that you think is is most deserving of a call up? Oh man, this is a tough one. Um, you know, Queen Cook probably would have been my answer for this. Uh, I've always kind of believed in Quinn Cook uh, as a player. Uh, Jarnell Stokes has really been good for Portland. I think he had like 22 and 15 yesterday uh, in that semifinal game. 
uh, he's a decent one. I've always been an RJ Hunter guy as well for Portland. I, I think that he could probably use a contract. Um, Vander Blue's another guy that for Los Angeles, uh, he's been okay at summer league, but I would kind of bring up that he's been one of the better players in the D league for a while now and is probably, uh, deserving of an NBA contract as well. Yeah, I think, I think those are all very good. I, I, I had positive feelings about, about, uh, all those, um, players that you mentioned. Well, Sam, thanks so much for taking time to uh, talk with us. Can you tell people where they can uh, read you and hear you? Yeah, find me at Sporting News. Find me at Vice. Uh, find me on the Game Theory Podcast, which you can rate, review, and subscribe to. Uh, overall, just kind of you know look around. Follow me on Twitter at Sam underscore Vicini, and I think that you will find all of my work and announcements there. Sounds great, Sam. Uh, thanks a bunch. All right. Thanks to Sam for joining me. You can find him at, again, Sam underscore Vecini, V-E-C-E-N-I-E. On Twitter, you can find me at Fast Break Break. Once again, we got a show coming with John and Chuck. Hopefully later this week on Friday, you can find us at FastBreakBreakfastPodcast.com. Support us at Patreon.com slash FastBreakBreakfast. All right, you guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember... Breakfast is the most important thing. Yeah, never apologize for being GNG. Fab break, break, man. You understand?